on. Hi there, everyone. My name is Adrian, and it's really great that you joined us today for our new series on faith, hope, and love. Hopefully, you've got the outline in front of you and the booklet's arrived, uh, but we're really glad that you've, uh, you've joined us today. I wonder, have you noticed how angry the world is these days? The default response to everything, it seems, is anger. If someone disagrees with you, you don't share your thoughts and try and persuade them and change their mind. No, you get angry. You don't listen to their view and then point out an alternative straight to outrage. It's true on social media, isn't it, that everyone is quick to pile on and shout down the slightest comment, the slightest mistake. People even send death threats to footy players who lost the game for your team. But it's the case everywhere. People are angry that we have too much lockdown. Too many restrictions. But other people are angry we don't have enough lockdown. We need more restrictions. People are angry on the roads if someone gets in ahead of them. People are angry if someone spoils the slightest little detail of a TV show or an upcoming movie. And people are especially angry when someone gets the Aldi Weekly Special ahead of them. Above all, people are angry at other people getting angry. Have you noticed that? That people are outraged at how the other side is outraged, all the while oblivious to the irony and hypocrisy. There's just anger everywhere. And I think it all goes to show how divided we are as a society. We can't even talk together about what matters without just descending into shouting and name-calling because we're driven these days by emotion and feelings over and above reason and truth. No one seems to argue facts and truth anymore. It's all emotional response, stirring up feelings of injustice. But where does all this anger come from? Well, I think it all masks deeper anxieties and frustrations. See, for a world that has more money and more possessions and more technology than ever before, there is still a bleak emptiness inside as fearful people try to make something meaningful out of their lives. It's almost like someone promised that if we just got the new iPhone or we got a great job and ate great food and had a perfect house, if we just had more stuff, then we'd be satisfied and fulfilled. But why hasn't it worked? And COVID has made things worse, hasn't it? But it was already the trajectory that we were on that the more materialistic and technological and free that our society and culture becomes, then the less satisfied and happy we are because the less significant relationships we have. And, and there is a sense of dread that looms in the lives of people. They can't put their finger on it and they don't know who to trust, but there's something big. Maybe it's uh, climate change or, or something wrong with the government or it's big tech companies or it's the media or some conspiracy theory. There is something hanging over people as they search for something to give them meaning. But so often they are left feeling the emptiness of not being satisfied or at peace or experiencing lasting joy. It all comes down to this. Deep in the heart of all people is a need for three things, for three realities, three fundamental core truths of every person. People need love. They need to be loved. They need to be loved deeply and unconditionally and generously. The love of someone who knows their faults and failures and loves them that way. Secondly, people need someone they can trust. 
Someone who is there for them, who can help them and support them. Someone they can believe in. Someone who has the ability to make a difference in their lives. When things go bad, they can fix things. They can rescue things. They are dependable, reliable, and always there. And thirdly, people need hope. They need to know there's a future. That someone has a plan. That there are good things coming. It's all heading somewhere and there is light at the end of the tunnel. Someone to love you. Someone who can make your future bright. And someone you can trust to hold you up and lift you above your problems. Faith, hope and love. It's what every person needs more than anything. And it's exactly what every person is offered in the gospel you know in the bible a number of times these three are used as a beautiful summary of the christian life in colossians chapter 1 verse 4 should come up on the screen it says we have heard of your faith in christ jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven see their faith in christ and their love for one another comes from their hope in heaven or 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, faith, hope, and love made visible in patient endurance, doing good, and serving God. And of course, there's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And 1 Corinthians 13 lists off a range of amazing gifts in ministry, spectacular experiences, spiritual achievements, but they're nothing compared with. Now, these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In fact, the night before Jesus Christ would die on the cross, he gathered his 12 disciples in Jerusalem. He gathered his apprentices and his friends and he had a meal with them. You can read about it in John's Gospel, it's in chapters 13 to 17. It's a pretty amazing section because John 1 to 12, 12 chapters, covers three years of Jesus' ministry and teaching. But then it slows right down and we actually get six chapters on one night, the night before Jesus died where we see Jesus repeatedly bringing comfort and confidence to his disciples. He calms their fears. He settles their anxieties. He says to them, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. He urges them, take courage, stand firm, be brave, hold on, be strong and courageous. And in a night that was already dark and would get even darker as Jesus is wrongly arrested, he's charged with made-up crimes, abandoned by all his followers, flogged horrifically and then led away to be executed. On that night, Jesus is honest and upfront with his disciples about the challenges they will face, the opposition and persecution that comes from identifying with the rejected king. But in the midst of it all, he offers deep, everlasting comfort to them the comfort of faith hope and love see jesus says to them just as i have loved you so you are to love one another no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command you so that whole night was about jesus love for them 
Jesus' followers are loved with a love so deep, so strong, so everlasting that that love would take Jesus to the cross to die selflessly, sacrificially to save them. That's love. Which is why he then can say in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, the antidote to anxiety and to fear and doubt, to the trouble that weighs like stones in our hearts, the solution, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, believe in God. Believe in me. That's the word faith. To believe, to trust. There is nothing to fear. There is no need to be anxious because you can trust God, you can believe Jesus. You can depend on me always, he says. Don't be anxious. Believe in me. And then he goes on to describe the outcome of his love for us and us believing in him in chapter 14, verse 2. Listen to what he says. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, so would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be, you know the way to where I'm going. See, Jesus' love and Jesus' trustworthiness gives his disciples hope, the hope of heaven. In my father's house, he says, there are many rooms. There's more than enough room for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you and get it ready. And then I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be with me there. That's our hope, eternal life. There is a joyful place where we belong. There is a perfect place where we are welcomed. There is a very clear and open way for us to enter. And so over the next three weeks, we're studying together faith hope and love. And my prayer is that it will fill us with the same comfort and the same peace and the same courage that Jesus gave the disciples that night. We are loved and we have a future because we have someone we can trust. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to lose. We have everything to live for. And so this week we're considering the notion of faith. That we have someone we can believe in. This is faith. To put your trust in someone. To rely and to depend and to believe in them. In Jesus, we have someone who is so consumed with our well-being that he was willing to suffer and die on the cross for us. We have someone into whose hands we can commit our entire lives because he's powerful enough. And generous enough, he has the resources to secure us in the midst of an insecure world. We have a mighty God who loves us, cares for us, and he has the power to rescue us from all our troubles. And you see, that's our first point on faith today. Faith rests on God's supreme power. See, when it all boils down, faith simply means trusting God. Resting in God's power to accomplish God's purpose. You see, the power of faith is, in fact, the power of God. Faith itself is not power. And that's the point. 
It's what you put your faith in. So I want you to imagine three people in spacesuits striding purposefully, resolutely, slow motion, shoulder to shoulder, smoke billowing behind them. They're walking along as if they've got the right stuff. They walk courageously and boldly towards an old couch sitting in an open field. And they sit down together on this couch and they tip it on its back and they stare up towards the sky. The thing is, no matter how confident they are, no matter how bold they are, no matter how much faith they have, nothing will happen. They're not going to make it to the moon. But imagine those same three people walk timidly, nervously into a rocket and strap themselves in. Then they'll get to the moon. The power is in the thing that you are trusting, not in how much you trust. All the power is in the rocket. Trust put them inside the rocket. It's the same with being a Christian. All the power is in God. The power to save you and forgive you. The power to fill you and satisfy you. The power to welcome you and accept you. The power to provide and bless you. The power to raise you from the dead and give you eternal life. That power belongs to God. The power of faith is simply the acknowledgement that God has all the power. And so we put our lives in his hands. We strap ourselves in and put our confidence in his strength to take us to eternal life. That's faith. And I know the word faith these days has a sense of blind, wishful thinking, no evidence, no basis, just faith. People think faith is a religious term, but actually it's not religious. It's relational. It's a relational term. It means trust. That's why we say someone is unfaithful in a relationship. Faith means trust. We trust God who is faithful. We believe in him. We're confident in him. It's a relational term. But it's also reality. We depend on things all the time. You are putting your faith in that chair you are sitting on right now. You, every time you turn the key in your car or press the ignition button, the word faith means trust means believe and rely and depend. And the message of Christianity is that we are saved by faith, which is to say we are saved by God, by relying on God's power and strength and love and mercy and believing in God's word. Faith is not about looking inwards to find strength within. Am I a good enough Christian? Rather, faith puts our trust in God. Because there's no problem he can't fix. There's no person he can't save. There's no barrier he can't smash. There's no obstacle he can't overcome. There's no enemy he can't defeat. There's no sin he can't forgive. There's no past he can't wipe clean. There's no guilt he can't remove. Do you know one time the disciples were struck with how hard it is to be saved? And Jesus agreed with them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What is impossible for man is possible for God, says Jesus. He can do it. And the perfect example of this is Abraham. Now let me read from Romans chapter 4, which is about Abraham and the trust that he puts in God. It says, Abraham believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed 
hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. You hear that? He was fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised to do. That's what faith is. Believing God's power to keep God's promise. And we have every reason to believe that. When it says, even the dead hear God's voice and live. Even things that don't exist hear his call and obey. When he said, let there be light and it came into existence. That's the power of God's word. But did you notice there that just as much as resting on God's power, Abraham's faith acknowledged his own powerlessness. God had promised him a son. And in fact, that he would become a whole nation and millions, billions of people would come from him. But he was a hundred years old. He figures his own body is already dead. It's as good as dead. He knows the deadness of his wife Sarah's womb. It's not about him or them. They can't do it, but he's convinced of God's power. And that brings us to our second point today. Faith admits our sinful powerlessness. So it's one thing to acknowledge that God is powerful and good. But faith also admits that we are powerless and helpless in our own sin. Faith not only says God can do it, God can save me, God can take me to heaven. Faith says only God can do it. Only God can save me. I can't save myself. No one else can save me. There's nothing I can do. The Bible is full of examples of this. People who demonstrate that faith means trusting in God while admitting utter powerlessness. Like the man who came to Jesus begging for his son to be healed. And he says, Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He's so powerless that he admits he even needs Jesus' help, trusting in Jesus' help. And then Jesus heals his son instantly because Jesus has all the power. It's like the prodigal son who after years comes back to his father with nothing but a terrible track record of rebellion and deep personal rejection. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father welcomes him back joyfully. It's like the sinful tax collector Jesus talks about, praying at the temple. He's not like the religious people. He stands at a distance. He beats his chest and he says, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man is justified and right with God. And it's like the thief on the cross, dying next to Jesus with nothing whatsoever to offer. He knows he deserves to be punished like that. But he simply says, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. See, faith means trusting God's power and admitting we have nothing. Nothing to stand on. Nothing to bring. See, imagine you're out in the middle of a lake. 
There are two rowboats and you're standing with a foot in each boat. One boat has holes everywhere and it's falling apart and it's sinking fast. It's obvious that unless you do something, you will soon be at the bottom of the lake. The boat with the holes in it represents ourselves. That's self with all the leaks, all the holes caused by sin and our rejection of God. The boat without holes represents Christ. The point is this. As long as you have one foot in each boat, you will end up in exactly the same place as if you'd stayed in the boat marked self. The only safe place to be is to have both feet firmly planted in the boat marked Christ. Trying to have both, trying to trust both, not fully committing to Christ doesn't work because Faith means trusting in Christ's power and accepting his help, as well as admitting we can't do it ourselves and rejecting our own efforts. And what this means is that our faith will grow. The more we come to know God, the more we understand his greatness. Faith grows when we keep making much of God and less of ourselves. Faith is about making much of God and less of me. There's a diagram of this that you should see on your screen now. Um, it's also in the sermon outline. You see, the more we understand how holy and perfect and good God is, how righteous, almighty, eternal, all-powerful God is, as well as understanding how weak and fallen and helpless we are, how much we need forgiveness, how sinful, rebellious, powerless we are. The more we understand those things, then as a result, His gift, His love, His salvation, His sacrifice of Jesus on the cross becomes more and more magnificent. As we keep making much of God and less of ourselves, then the extraordinary lengths to which God went to save and love us become even more magnificent. And so the third and last point that I want us to look at today together about faith is that faith is alive and active. We started with the idea that what every person needs more than anything is faith, hope and love. What every person is offered in the gospel is faith, hope and love. And I want to finish with the idea today that faith in God makes a massive difference in your life. See, while faith admits that we have nothing, it doesn't mean we do nothing. And we saw that in the passage that we had read earlier, didn't we? Ephesians 2 tells us that we were so powerless to do anything about our situation that it says you were dead in your sins. There's not much a dead person can do to help themselves. It says you walked in the ways of disobedience. It says you were under God's wrath, his righteous anger and condemnation. That's how powerless we were. But listen to Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive. That's the power that we trust in. He made us alive, alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our sins. You are saved by grace. The difference faith makes in our lives is it takes us from death to life, from darkness to light, from fear 
to hope, from disobedience and living under God's anger, to being loved and given new life, the life of doing good, the life of loving others. We are filled with confidence and assurance and with certainty because God has demonstrated perfectly that he has the power to keep his promise. So when you know God, when you understand his limitless power and his love and his holiness, and it turns out the most reasonable response is in fact to trust him and to give your life to him. And when you're honest enough to admit your own guilt and failings before a holy and perfect judge, then the most natural and reasonable response is to accept his free offer of forgiveness in Jesus. It's like when you're desperately thirsty and there's pure cold water in front of you, well, you would drink it. But when you're hungry to the point of death and there's good food in front of you, well, then you would eat it. Or when you're out exposed in the middle of a ferocious storm or you're in the desert in the baking hot sun and there in front of you is shelter right there, you would enter it. It just makes sense. Just like when you are in trouble and you cannot do it on your own and you're weighed down by guilt and failure and sin and here is our Lord promising you salvation powerful enough to achieve it and proving his love in dying and rising again, then trust him. Give your life to him. Experience what it's like to have complete and utter confidence because we rest in the arms of Almighty God, our Father. Put your trust in Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are our almighty God. You're powerful in all things and you've used your power to achieve your promises that we would be saved and forgiven forever. Father, we acknowledge that we have nothing to offer and nothing to bring. Help us to trust in your amazing strength and to put our confidence in you now and always. In Jesus' name, amen.